And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. Good morning. Today is Monday, January 17th. A little bit uh, past the halfway of the first uh, month of the year. And we've gotten past uh, the first uh, week of uh, trading with some uh, uh, markets in the uh, black, which is uh, encouraging as the first few days of the year are uh, at least uh, historically, um, if you're looking at probabilities, uh, you have uh, up days in the first uh, few trading days of the year. You historically have a much greater probability of having a uh, better year. So uh, we'll keep our uh, hopes high uh, that uh, we will see a, a continuation of the strength that we have seen in uh, in equity and bond markets uh, this year. Uh, today is Tuesday. Normally we uh, gather on Mondays, but uh, yesterday financial markets closed in uh, honor of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. And uh, this morning we reconvene uh, to talk about uh, financial markets. I'm going to uh, speak about the importance of habits and how habits and longevity and success are tied together. And uh, we'll then uh, talk about what's uh, taken place over the uh, long weekend and uh, speak to uh, what uh, Barron's had to say over the weekend uh, regarding financial markets, uh, regarding the outlook uh, for uh, markets for the remainder of this year, and then a couple of uh, different articles uh, from Barron's on the technology sector and inflation, and then that'll be the perfect segue uh, to bonds and uh, fixed income and uh, interest rates uh, and inflation, which are intricately tied to interest rates are the two critical components uh, right now that the market's uh, keenly uh, focused on, both uh, for bonds and stock. So bond market is uh, back to uh, getting its degree in economics and uh, being uh, the uh, vigilantes uh, for us all in terms of what's going on in Washington and uh, the politics and the effects that uh, the Fiscal and monetary policy and uh, acts in uh, Congress, uh, a la the debt ceiling, could have on uh, the overall markets. So habits, longevity. I'm going to share with you some thoughts from uh, the book by William Green, Richer, Wiser, and Happier, How the World's Greatest Investors Win in Markets and in Life. And uh, speaking of habits and their critical importance uh, to us and why they uh, have a, a tremendous impact and why those who develop good habits uh, have a much greater probability of being uh, successful, not only when it comes to uh, investing, but uh, when it comes to relationships and life. So Aristotle uh, in ancient uh, Greece said uh, that with habits, it makes no small difference whether we form habits of one kind or of another from our very youth. It makes a very great difference or rather all the difference. And speaking of habits, uh, Tom Gaynor, a uh, well-respected uh, investor um, who's the CEO of Markel and uh, follows uh, Warren Buffett and his investing style carefully, said that I think people underestimate until they get older just how important habits are and how difficult they are to change when you're 45 or 50 and how important it is that you form the right ones when you're young. And Keep in mind that one of the great mistakes many make when seeking to uh, move forward is they strive for perfection. And often uh, when we strive for perfection, because as uh, we painfully know, perfection is nearly impossible to achieve, uh, we give up. And what we should focus on is, is striving towards perfection, but 
perfection is not the goal. We just want to be directionally correct that we are moving in a positive direction and getting closer to perfection with the recognition that uh, we very likely will never achieve perfection. So moderate incremental changes that are sustainable are the keys to developing good habits and thereby leading to success and longevity. One of the things uh, to bear in mind as we are incrementally moving forward is to also be aware of when we are sliding. So perhaps we're incrementally moving forward uh, with a diet and uh, we're losing a small amount, uh, a pound every two or three months, and all of a sudden uh, we see a, a quarter where we start to uh, move the wrong way. Um, we need to be able to be very aware of when we are slipping and going in the wrong direction. And at that time, perhaps uh, with this analogy of a diet, all of a sudden we say to ourselves, hey, um, I'm going to jump on the treadmill at lunchtime. Um, I'm not going to eat that, uh, that ice cream snack uh, for the next couple of nights uh, so that we can get ourselves back on track without letting ourselves go too far out of line. So when thinking about uh, the richest uh, investors and those who have had uh, lots of success um, and thinking about habits, one of the key factors for habits and long-term success is that those positive habits lead to long periods or long stretches of success. So if you want the secret of great success, it's just to make each day a little bit better than the day before. There are different ways you can go about doing that, but that's the story. Just make progress over and over again. That's the critical part. And successful investors develop those habits, and then what they do is they hold on to them just like they hold on with the same mentality of longevity to good investments. And most successful investors are those who developed good habits, found a methodology that works for them, made investments, and in general, when they found success, they stuck with it. They didn't uh, trade uh, very frenzied. Um, they weren't chasing the next hot thing. Uh, very often, success is finding the right key, the right formula, and sticking with it. Uh, Jeffrey Goonlock, who runs uh, Double Line Asset Management, said, if you do make a mistake, make sure that your mistake is non-fatal. So as you're developing habits and if you slip up, uh, one of the keys here I talked about noticing when you're slipping is noticing when you're perhaps making a, uh, a calculated uh, decision that perhaps uh, overextends yourself and if it doesn't work out favorably, um, could be something that you cannot recover from. So don't make those mistakes and don't you set yourself up for something that uh, will be the destroyer of longevity. Because what what leads to success in in life and business, um, and especially in investing, is longevity. Back to perfection. Forget about perfection. Focus on progression and compound the improvements. You just need to focus on all the little things and add them together to move forward. None of this is earth-shattering in isolation. But remember, it's the aggregation of marginal gains that's so powerful. Moreover, the modest benefits generated by smart habits that compound over many years. So this morning, as we think about uh, what habits uh, that uh, we have uh, formed that are playing very positive roles in our life or perhaps some habits that uh, we would like to uh, modify or change as we strive towards our individual uh, strivings towards uh, perfection or a better version of ourselves, um, we can take uh, this morning's uh, 
information and news and uh, put it into the mix of uh, of our investing thought process and uh, begin second week, uh, second half of uh, January. So today, uh, futures are trading uh, down and uh, perhaps we're uh, digesting uh, last week's uh, run up at the markets. Uh, Dow futures are down about 90. S&P futures are down five. NASDAQ futures are down about uh, 25 points. These levels are uh, all uh, off the worst levels of the morning. Um, futures have uh, moved uh, moved up uh, from those levels just in the last 10 or so minutes. Uh, the negative bias in the equity markets is uh, perhaps uh, due to the fact that there's uh, some profit taking after um, the markets uh, began the year with the S&P up 4%, the NASDAQ up about 6%, the Dow up about 3.5%. Uh, earnings reports uh, came out last week, and we got some mixed reactions from them, and we got some more earnings this morning, and uh, we continue to get some mixed reactions. Uh, specifically, Morgan Stanley, they missed by $0.05, cents, but they beat on revenues. Uh, the stock was up slightly. Goldman Sachs missed on revenues and earnings, and the stock uh, was down about 2.5%. Uh, Tesla this morning um, says they're uh, nearing an electric vehicle deal in Indonesia. The stock's up about 2% this morning. Pfizer downgraded um, this morning, and the stock's off about 1.5%. Uh, uh, some other news, the IMF managing director told CNBC in an interview that the, the IMF expects uh, growth to bottom out this year and 2024 to be a year in which the world finally uh, sees some upside. Um, this morning, we also got fourth quarter GDP out of China, and it came in better than expected. We were expecting an eight-tenths of one percent decline, and it was uh, flat or unchanged. Uh, Treasury yields this morning are inching higher. Two-year note yield is up three basis points to four and a quarter. The 10-year is up six basis points to 357. Dollar down slightly. Oil this morning um, is uh, up 43 cents a barrel, or about one-half of one uh, percent. Markets uh, in Asia uh, began the week on a mostly lower note. Uh, despite the, the positive uh, data on the GDP in China, the market there down slightly, one-tenth of one percent. Hang Seng was down eight-tenths of one percent. Uh, the one bright spot in Asia was the uh, Nikkei in Japan, which was up 1.2 percent. Major European industries are trading on a modestly lower note, down uh, anywhere between 0.1 and 0.2 percent. Some news this morning. Uh, New York Times uh, saying that uh, China's population has declined, um, perhaps uh, due to uh, COVID deaths uh, pushing it uh, into that negative territory as it was teetering on kind of unchanged. Um, China has officially reported 60,000 deaths since removing restrictions. Many speculate the number is significantly higher. Chinese Vice Premier Liu He at the World Economic Forum said trade and domestic consumption in China will return to normal this year. Uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen will meet with uh, Chinese Vice Premier uh, Li uh, He tomorrow, according to Bloomberg. Um, talking about uh, the debt ceiling, we'll talk a little bit more about that. The Washington Post reporting that the House Republicans are preparing a contingency plan in case the debt ceiling is breached later this year. The EU announced that they have dispersed the first 3 billion euros of aid to your Ukraine. Um, of up to the 18 billion euros uh, that they have put together in an assistance package. Wall Street Journal reporting that electrical vehicle sales last year in the world were about 10% of global auto sales. 
And uh, Bitcoin this morning is uh, breaching $20,000 for the first time in a couple of months. What's going on this week? Uh, mentioned we had a couple of earnings reports already this morning. Um, also get earnings today from United Airlines. Tomorrow, um, the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics is releasing the producer price index for December. The consensus is for the PPI to rise 6.8% and core to increase 5.4%, the moderation from last month. Uh, this report will come on the heels of the uh, CPI, which we got last week, that uh, came in pretty much in line um, with expectations. Tomorrow, we get earnings from uh, Charles Schwab and Kinder Morgan. Also, uh, tomorrow, the Bank of Japan announces its monetary policy decision. Uh, traders are pricing in a 25% chance that the Japanese central bank will hike its key interest rate by 10 basis points to zero from negative 0.1. It's been negative 0.1 since early 2016. Uh, remember, last month, the Bank of Japan surprised the market by raising the cap on 10-year government bond yields. The yen has rallied about 15% against the dollar since uh, that uh, dovish uh, stance was, uh, was uh, changed to a slightly tighter policy coming out of the uh, Bank of Japan. Also tomorrow, the Federal Reserve releases the Beige Book for the first of eight this year. And tomorrow we get retail sales for December. We're looking for that to decline six-tenths of 1%. Thursday earnings continue. Netflix, Procter & Gamble, uh, Truist Financial, to name a few. Uh, we also get uh, residential construction statistics for December uh, tomorrow. And then on Friday, the National Association of Realtors reports existing home sales for December. So Barron's uh, had a couple of articles uh, on the uh, economy. Um, one of which was uh, inflation isn't the stock market's biggest problem now. Deflation is. What does that, uh, what does that mean? Um, well, it doesn't mean that uh, inflation is going away. Inflation is still increasing. But if you look at the latest uh, reports uh, on inflation, um, as we uh, alluded to a few minutes ago, uh, inflation, while still increasing, is starting to decline. And uh, interestingly, that could start becoming a uh, margin problem for uh, corporate America uh, as companies have uh, had uh, lots of pricing power uh, to raise their prices um, in line with their rising costs or in some cases raise prices even more than their costs had increased and this had uh, helped margins and helped earnings uh, for these companies and what's starting to happen is uh, the elasticity or the amount of price uh, increases that uh, companies are able to sustain are starting to uh, wear on consumers. And uh, what's happening is uh, we may start to see uh, price cuts. In fact, uh, what we uh, what we're starting to see is uh, price uh, price pressure uh, from a landlord standpoint when it comes to uh, apartments. Um, Forty million Americans call uh, apartments their home, and there are signs that uh, price declines are starting to show up. Um, consumers felt the uh, pain of inflation when it came to uh, rent new apartments uh, last year. Uh, with average rents up about 7% uh, year over year. Um, but those high prices have started to pinch, and uh, there are at reports uh, out that uh, that a lot less people are looking to move, and, uh, and that's largely because uh, they are hesitant to take on any greater cost uh, for their housing. Uh, car price is another area that we're starting to see some uh, some price pressure. The average car price last year hit a record of 49500 those prices are starting to hit demand and forcing companies to reconsider. 
Um, in a uh, high-profile uh, announcement last week, Tesla said that they are uh, cutting prices on some of their vehicles for up to 20% as their inventory has piled up. That uh, certainly uh, is uh, potentially uh, uh, the first sign of uh, a large price cut from a major U.S. company and uh, something that uh, could be a uh, omen for other companies um, and uh, could start pressuring earnings. Uh, clearly, in the case of Tesla, if you cut the prices 20% and your costs don't decrease 20%, your margins are going to decrease. And the problem that corporate America is having is that uh, wages are not declining. Uh, in fact, they're still going up. Uh, labor market remains tight. Uh, unemployment rate's about 3.5%. The rate of change or the increase in wages, uh, anecdotal reports suggesting that they are diminishing. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, the direction is still for higher wages. Um, so what do we need to look for? Well, we need to look for companies that uh, have pricing power, able to produce margin um, as we go about uh, navigating this uh, changing landscape. I mentioned the deficit, uh, and uh, Barron's in the up and down Wall Street column said government debt could be a big problem for the stock market. On Friday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warned Cong warned Congress that the U.S. would hit its debt ceiling this coming Thursday, earlier than many had expected. That doesn't mean the government will be forced to stop paying its bills then. Yellen believes that the Treasury has enough cash and other ways to raise money until at least early June. But it does mean that an, that an issue that was still purely theoretical has become more pressing as the X date uh, or the date when the government uh, officially runs out of uh, money approaches. So. Speaking of uh, this X date uh, approaching and putting it into the uh, perspective of uh, the uh, amount of debt that this country has accumulated and how we got there, um, right now the U.S. has about $31.4 trillion in debt. And uh, in a strange quirk, um, if you're wondering about uh, voting on the debt ceiling, uh, Congress, uh, the same legislators that uh, don't want to extend uh, uh, paying their bills for the debt ceiling, uh, Congress has already approved this spending, uh, all the spending that's taken place uh, this year and in the past, and that's $31.4 trillion of it, um, about $1.2 trillion last year, more than we took in, um, we spent, and Congress approved every cent of that. Um, but now the credit card bill, so to speak, is coming due, and Congress is saying, uh, hey, we may not want to pay for, uh, for what we bought. Um, and this is something that... Uh, Previously was a non-issue, meaning that uh, Congress uh, pretty much uh, regularly until about 10 years ago um, approved uh, the spending that they had already uh, already done. Um, but about 10 years ago, um, in 2011, um, when Republicans uh, took control of Congress at that point, uh, they uh, took a stand suggesting that uh, deficit spending uh, had reached uh, levels that they were uncomfortable with and they weren't going to approve the debt ceiling. And uh, if uh, you were around then, you may remember that caused a lot of angst in financial markets and uh, the S&P 500 fell about 6.5% until uh, that debt ceiling was extended. Uh, this time around, uh, we may see a, a revision to that uh, high-stakes brinkmanship that we experienced about a decade ago as Congress is divided and uh, Speaker McCarthy, who uh, took many uh, rounds to uh, get elected, had to make lots of concessions and ceded power to a small group of legislatures um, who view the uh, amount of spending taking place in Washington as egregious and it's one of their core convictions. And uh, therefore, um, we may see a lot of uh, wrangling and brinkmanship around 
the debt ceiling when uh, when push comes to shove. So the repercussions uh, potentially could even be more severe than in 2011 if the U.S. is forced to miss payments on its debt or halt spending. Some are even suggesting the U.S. Uh, government might have to uh, with, uh, temporarily or, or more uh, longer uh, stop making uh, Social Security payments. So that's something that uh, would uh, certainly uh, make uh, lots of uh, people uh, economically uh, concerned and uh, many people uh, rely on some of those transfer payments from the government to uh, manage their uh, life expenses and uh, therefore that's something that can significantly affect the economy. So come uh, come June uh, or thereabouts, uh, this, uh, this issue uh, isn't going away and will come to the forefront. Barron's talked about uh, the Federal Reserve and uh, we've been hearing uh, the Federal Reserve speak uh, regularly now for the last several years. And uh, Barron's uh, gave us a, a good article where they explained uh, which of the Fed governors uh, we perhaps should uh, focus on and uh, which ones, uh, when they speak, which ones uh, have the most uh, weight um, in their uh, in, in what they're saying because they have uh, the power to uh, to vote. So if you're following the uh, Federal Reserve, um, there are three Federal Reserve members who get to vote at all times. Uh, they are called the Troika. Um, that is Chairman Powell. That is the Vice Chair of the Board of Governors, Lael Brainerd. And it is the Vice Chair of the Federal Open Market Committee and President of the New York Fed, John Williams. Those three folks vote at every Fed meeting. So what they say is important because they will always have a say. Um, additional members of the board who always vote because they are board members of the Fed um, are Philip Jefferson and Lisa Cook. Those are two names you may not be familiar with um, because they are recent uh, appointees by President Biden. And it's very possible that uh, they will get more vocal in 2023 after getting their feet wet uh, uh, after their recent appointments. Um, also, uh, board members who always vote, uh, Michelle Bowman and Michael Barr, who tends to focus on bank regulation, and Christopher Waller, um, who is uh, known to be a more hawkish uh, member of the, uh, of the uh, FOMC and voting member. So you take those five, and you take the trochea, and you come up with uh, eight members who, uh, who get to vote, and the additional four are rotated from the uh, regional bank presidents, and they serve one-year rotations, and every year it switches. Uh, this year, the four uh, regional bank presidents who get to vote, and these are the bank presidents uh, who uh, you may want to pay the most attention to, not that you want to ignore the others, um, but these are the ones who vote. Uh, Patrick Harker, president of the Philadelphia Fed. Uh, Lori Logan, uh, president of the Dallas Fed. Austin Goolsby, president of the Chicago Fed, and Neil Kashikari, president of the uh, Minneapolis Fed. So those are the 12 voters, the three Troikia members, the five Board of Governor members, and the four regional uh, Fed governors, who uh, Fed bankers who, uh, who are rotated yearly. Barron's, in their cover story, um, had their uh, roundtable discussion, and I would say that the uh, tone of this discussion for 2023 was uh, a lot different than the previous uh, uh, several years. Um, the general broad conclusion among the uh, roundtable members, uh, these are uh, 
uh, considered uh, you know, market veterans with uh, lots of years of experience and uh, many years of uh, expertise managing money. Uh, the general conclusion was the age of free money is over, um, but there are still opportunities. Um, what I will say is there was a, a much larger divergence in opinion than I've seen um, in quite some time in terms of uh, expectations for market performance uh, in the next year or two, um, with uh, the upside ranging from 8 to 10% from some folks um, and some folks uh, expecting flat markets and, uh, and others uh, in the equity markets uh, looking for declines of uh, 5 to 10%. Um, the most bearish uh, person um, is the uh, strategist at Morgan Stanley, who is suggesting that uh, the S&P could even break 3,000 to the uh, downside. Uh, that was an outlier. Um, wasn't uh, someone uh, that was uh, Wilson. Um, most of the other participants uh, did not share that uh, bearishness. Um, but nevertheless, uh, you see that there is a uh, lack of consensus uh, even among the uh, quote-unquote experts. This morning, I mentioned uh, the yields are a little bit uh, higher on the uh, treasuries. Today, markets are looking to some comments from Federal Reserve speakers, and we just outlined some of the key uh, participants, uh, and these uh, policymakers will be giving us some idea of uh, policy plans um, from the Fed and what they're looking for and what their thoughts and concerns are, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll digest that and see what's happening uh, in the fixed income market after we get those. There is uh, uncertainty uh, about whether the central bank will increase rates by 25 or 50 basis points at, at its next meeting on January 31st and February 1st. Uh, many are concerned that the pace of rate hikes implemented by the Fed so far in its fight against inflation uh, could drag the U.S. economy into recession. That's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lanton. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com. Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.